0: Well, good morning, everybody. It is great to have you guys here. You know, I was thinking when I came down this morning, um, it's a gorgeous day. It's the Sunday after Easter. Uh, It's spring break for most of you. I think you guys are all on spring break this next week. See how sad they are. Um, So I I, I really, I want to just add my thanks for being here today and the beginning of this new series. We're going to be in John chapter 21 if you've got your Bible. I encourage you to bring that with you on Sundays uh, or open up your Bible app. You can go go online here. We've got uh, Wi-Fi in this room, it's free, it's open. So uh, open up to John, chapter 21, we'll get there in just a minute. Uh, I also want to say thank you, for, it was amazing last week. Uh, you guys uh, did what we asked you to do, you invited your friends. I met tons of f- friends, family, neighbors, people who showed up last week, and it was very exciting for me. And the coolest part for me, guys, I mean, I love it when you know we fill the room up, but we had 19 people pick up New Believers Packets last week. 19 folks, yeah. So that's what we're here for, that's what we're all about, and that's pretty stinking cool. Um, as Matt said, we're starting a new series today called New Beginnings, and we're gonna take a look at a story in John 21, uh, one of my favorites about uh, a new beginning for a guy named Peter. Last week on Easter, I talked about hope, and I said that when Jesus is in the mix, nothing and no one is hopeless. I absolutely, truly do believe that. When Jesus is in the mix, meaning when we call out to him, when we turn to him, when we ask Him for help, when we cry out to God, when we seek Him, when we surrender to Him, then absolutely no one and nothing is hopeless. Today I want to talk about why that's true and by using the story of Peter's restoration in John 21, I want you to see how. Okay, you said that's good, but how do we get there? How do we experience this new beginning and hope in the midst of things that might be hopeless? Uh, how many of you play golf? Let me see the hands. I know some of you are proud golfers. Uh, you guys know what a mulligan is, for those of you that don't, let me define what a mulligan is. A mulligan is when uh, you hit a really bad shot in golf, which I've never done, but I hear Larry does it all the time. But uh, hit a really bad shot in golf, and uh, it's, uh, they don't count. In fact, it kind of looks like this, maybe. That's a bad shot. Look at the ball there. That's actually the, uh, the PGA tournament, and the guy, literally the ball landed in a little crevice there. I would have just said, forget it, uh, I'll take the penalty, but he uh, got up there to try to hit it out of a tree. When you do something like that, if you have nice friends, they give you what? A mulligan. They give you a chance to do it over and they don't, you know, charge that against you. Sometimes in life we need a mulligan. Some of us need a mulligan a lot uh, on a regular basis. But sometimes the way we feel about our lives is, man, I'm up on a tree and I don't know how I got here. We've goobered up things pretty bad. I love that word goobered. It's one of my favorite words. I I could say it all day. Goobered, 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 goobered. Uh, we've goobered things up pretty bad, and we, we just don't know what's going to happen. And then there's this additional problem that happens, is there are three voices telling us that we're idiots. There's the voice of the enemy, Satan. He's for real, and he is always accusing us, telling you. He's the voice you know, behind you saying, you really are an idiot. You screwed this up. You're never going to be able to fix this. That's a mess. Forget it. Just give up on God and go die somewhere. That's the voice of the enemy. Then we have the voice of others, people around us. And uh, even if they're friends, sometimes friends add to the voice of the enemy and they say, you really are an idiot. Why don't you just give up and die? You know, I don't understand why you did that. And with the voice of others sometimes that adds to our guilt and shame. And then on, on top of all of that, there's one more voice and it's what? Yeah, our self-talk, it's our voice. It's bad enough we got the enemy slamming us and sometimes friends slamming us, but then we have this stupid thing going on in our head all the time that's just saying, you really are an idiot and why don't you just quit? And I don't understand why you bother. And, and we have that ugly self-talk that happens all the time. But the good news is that that's not where we have to stay. And God's all about giving us hope and grace and a new life, even in the midst of mess-ups. Guy came to me, uh, he's in his 50s, I think it was 54 or 55, this was years ago. And he was very distraught. And I, I mean as in extremely panicking distraught. He said, I made a horrible mistake at my work, cost the company tens of thousands of dollars, and I got fired. And uh, he said, "I don't know what I'm gonna do." He said, "I'm 50-something, and and nobody's gonna want to hire me. I mean, I'm 10 years away from retirement, and I, I made too much money in the beginning, and, and I, who knows? I'm just there's, I'm overqualified." He went on and on and on. And I, I he was a friend. I just looked him in the eye. I said, "Man, I am so sorry. I know this really hurts. I, I'm, I I understand your your fear, your concern, but I said, here's my challenge. First, own it. Just go to God. Say, God, I messed up. Own your mistake. Learn from it, which is always a good thing whenever we make mistakes." Learn from it, and then ask God for direction. Ask him, okay, God, what do you want me to do next? What do I do from here? About, I don't know, a week or two later, maybe three weeks, but he came to me and said, uh, I don't know if it's bad pizza or God, but I had this crazy idea to start this company. He told me about it, and he said, I don't have any resources. I'm going to reach out, see if I get some friends to help me, and I'm going to start this thing. What do you think? I said, is that what you feel like God told you to do? I said, yep. I said, is that, is that what's in your heart to do? Yep. I said, go for it. Well, the, the uh, long and the short of it is he ended up being a very big success, did very well, and loved working for himself rather than other people. So it was a win-win. A young woman came to me, 17-year-old young woman came to me. This was about, uh, maybe 10 years ago. And she had uh, gotten pregnant out of wedlock, wedlock, and her dad booted her out of the house. And by the way, dads, when your kids do something stupid, uh, the better response is grace, always grace. But, uh, he was frustrated and disappointed and embarrassed and felt like he was giving her what she deserved and booted her out of the house. She literally lived in her car for three weeks, lived in her car, didn't have a place to go. And finally her dad let her back in the house but wouldn't talk to her at all. I mean, no, they'd be in the same room and he wouldn't even acknowledge that she was there. She came to me crying, devastated, broke, and she said, Kurt, I don't know what to do. I feel like I've really screwed things up. I'm, I feel like such a failure and I've let everybody down what do I do and I told her what I need you to hear today restoration is God's specialty It's what he does best and so I encourage her well get forgiven make sure that you're clean with God forgive yourself which is always a big challenge for most of us even when we feel like God's forgiven us we hold ourselves on the hook I said and then here's the hard part forgive your dad forgive your father make a choice to forgive him and then ask God to restore that relationship Say, God I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to make this right. Would you please help me restore this relationship with my dad? Well, it took him a while. But before uh, this woman's little girl was born and took her first breath, her dad's little girl um, made things right. And today they're doing great. It's a story of restoration. And if you've ever messed things up big time and wondered, can any good come out of this, then today's talk is for you. And that's why I love, love, love this passage in John chapter 21. Because it's all about restoration. Let's pick it up. John 21, verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, Sea of Galilee. Now, afterward here refers to after the resurrection. And this is actually the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples. And, uh, of course, they're blown away. But let's read on. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus. Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee. The sons of Zebedee. The sons of thunder, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish," Simon Peter told them, and they said, "We'll go with you. Good idea." So they went out and got to a boat, but that night they caught absolutely nothing. Now, when Peter says, "I'm going fishing," you need to understand what he's saying here is, I essentially saying I'm going back to the only thing I know, the only thing that I ever felt maybe I was good at. I'm returning to my former way of life. Most of you know but let me just remind you that Peter really let Jesus down and he knew it. He denied knowing Jesus three times. Jesus told him that's what he would do. Sure enough, that's what he did. He had this encounter with the third time where Jesus looked at him eyeball to eyeball as he denied knowing him and Peter ran out and wept bitterly, the scripture says. And he knew that he'd failed Jesus, not just once, but three different times. In his mind, again, think about how you would feel. In his mind, any chance of him being the rock upon which Jesus would build his church. Jesus said that in Matthew 16 uh, to him. Any chance of that was toast. That was never going to happen, not now, not ever. Peter's thinking, I blew it, I failed, I let Jesus down, and whatever plans God had for me, whatever plans Jesus had for me, whatever potential future I might have had is completely demolished because of my failure. Now, let's own it. Haven't we felt that way before when we blow it? All we can see and focus on is what we've done. The past or present mistake, the thing that we did that was really foolish. We see how badly we've messed things up, and again, our attitude generally is, whatever might have been, is it's too late for me. And have you ever, ever noticed that when we go there, when we get there in that frame of mind, that we tend to retreat to our comfort zones. There's this human part of us that wants to be comforted when we fail. But rather than go to God, we go to other things. Maybe it's some sort of substance abuse. Maybe it's porn. Maybe it's, you know, some former thing that we used to do that we felt like we had some success in. And for Peter, that's exactly what he's doing. Now maybe it's out of insecurity, maybe it's because we don't know what else to do, but all too often when we fail, we run, we duck and hide, we look for cover, and we try to find something to comfort us. But here's the first thing that we need to do. The first thing you need to see today, number one, the road back to restoration is not the road back to your past. The road to restoration, to you getting where God wants you to be. And Next week I'm excited, We're gonna, I'm gonna bring a message on discovering your destiny, your purpose, how God has wired you, what he's wired you for, and to help you discover your destiny in him. But for you to find that road to restoration, it's not a road back to your past. God has absolutely no interest in taking you back to what was. That's not his plan. He simply wants to take you right where you are at. Listen to me, he takes you right where you are at, and then he moves you forward. We come to him, we said, I screwed up, he goes, I know. And he said, but let's move forward, let's grow, why? Because going back to what was is usually an empty pursuit. And it denies the power of God's grace and mercy in our lives. If there's anything that you must know about God is that he's merciful, kind, gracious, forgiving, that's his nature. And when we don't treat him like that, or we treat ourselves worse than God does, we're denying the power of his grace and mercy in our lives. Even though going back is often our first inclination, back to what we once knew, back to what once was in our lives, that's not God's plan for us. That's not his plan. To the Israelites, if you read the Old Testament, one of the things you see is that they consistently messed up, consistently made a horrible mess out of things. And to those people who screwed up time after time after time again, through the prophet Isaiah, God spoke to them, and here's what he said in Isaiah 43:18. Some of you have memorized this verse, but you need to hear, maybe for the first time in a different light. The, God says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. God goes to a bunch of people who messed up horribly. I mean horribly. And he says, forget it. Forget the former things. Stop dwelling on that. Why? Because it's fruitless. There's no good that can come out of that. Peter wanted to go back, but God had a different plan, a completely different plan. Let's pick it up, verse 4. Early in the morning Jesus stood on the shore. Remember they've been out fishing all night long, got nothing. But the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Now I absolutely love it here that Jesus calls them friends. What would you call them? I could think of a whole lot of other words I would use besides the word friend. Every one of these guys had abandoned Jesus in that garden when he was arrested. Every one of them. Peter denied knowing him three times. Yep. But every one of them bolted and ran. Each of them could have been called traitor, but Jesus calls them friends. Which takes us to the second thing I want you to hear today. Even when you failed as his friend, Jesus never gives up on you. Even when you have failed him, he will never give up on you. I don't have the time today, but I could tell you so many stories of people who've come to me over 30 plus years of ministry, and they have said basically this to me again and again and again. I blew it and it's too late for me. God's given up on me. I'm I'm relegated to the scratch and dent pile of life, and that's where I'm gonna spend the rest of my days. And I love telling them, nope, Jesus, you might have failed him, but he will never fail you. Even when we are faithless. The Bible says that God remains faithful to us. Again and again and again, the Bible says God is faithful. The Lord is faithful. God's faithfulness to us never ends. Jeremiah wrote this in Lamentations 3, 22 to 23. The faithful, there's that word, I love that. The faithful love of the Lord, here it is, never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. His mercies are new every morning. We're talking about new beginnings. And for us to embrace that and to move forward, we've got to see that God is faithful, his love never ends, his mercies never, never cease, that he's great in his faithfulness to us and that his mercies are in fact new every day. Stepped outside this morning early, Uh, the sun was just coming up and I love, 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 love when things get nice so I can walk outside without going, "Uh, uh," you know, it was, was great. And it was gorgeous. The birds are singing and the sun's coming up and the moon was still up and it was blue sky. And I thought this is awesome. And I thought again of this verse. The Lord's mercies are new every morning. Every morning. How many of you think you might screw up this week at least once? All right, good. Good answer. Here's the reality. The next day, it's a mulligan. Do over. God says, yep, I know, but let's move forward. Let's grow from it. Let's learn from it, but let's move forward. God's faithful love never ends. His, he, he gives us mercy in our messes. He gives us mercy in the midst of our mess and a brand new mulligan every morning. And when Jesus calls these guys friends even when they failed him. And, and I want you to see that even when you are at your worst, he still looks you in the eye and says, you're my kid. You're mine. You're my friend. I love you. I will never give up on you. Why is this so important for us to understand? Well, because what tends to happen when we blow it is that we uh, run again from God rather than run to him. I don't have time again to get into it. Write this down or check it out later. Hebrews 4, 16. One of my all-time favorite verses. Let us therefore, it says, run to the throne of mercy and God's grace. When we fail, when we blow, when we sin, run to him, to God's throne of mercy and grace where we'll find help. Where we'll find him. See, when we understand that God's not ticked off at us, He's not angry at us, He's not mean, He's not looking for you so He can beat you to smithereens, when he, in fact He says, You're my friend, I've invested my life into you, and I've got great plans for you, then when we fail, instead of going as fast as we can from God, we go as fast as we can to Him. And by the way, God never throws your past in your face. Now, I, I'm sure that you've never had anybody ever do that to you. But occasionally, I've done that to my wife. You know, I, she did something, I forgave her, uh, and, and, and I bring it up from time to time, especially when I need a little dig. And, and it's horrible. God never does that. He never throws our past in our face. He calls you friend, and that should motivate you to want to honor that kindness, to draw near to him. Let's read on. Verse 6. Jesus, okay, so catch any fish? No. Jesus said, throw your net on the other side, on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, again, love, love, love that phrase. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he'd taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. What I want you to see, what I hope you'll see here, there's something amazing about the character of God, it's the third thing I want you to, to understand today. God delights. He delights in showing you his unmerited favor. God delights. He's not stingy about it. He's not like, oh man, Seth, how many times, I'll pick on our youth pastor, how many times are you going to do that? I cannot, I, this is it buddy, one more time and I'm done with you. God never says that. Never says that not even once. God never rubs our sin on our faces. But in His mercy and His grace, in fact what He does is He blesses us beyond belief. And again, my reason I think for that, the reason why I want you to understand that is that understanding that God wants to bless you again once you, you think, oh man, I just need to get forgiven because I want to live there. I want to experience that blessing from Him. We don't deserve His favor. We haven't earned His kindness. But He gives it to us nonetheless. You see, I believe in the goodness of God because I've experienced it a thousand times in my life, despite my idiocy. I believe in it because I could tell you stories all day long. And here's another little reality. And I'm not being pessimistic, I'm just being realistic here. Did you know that God expects more failure from you than you probably expect from yourself? God knows you. He knows you. He, and I, I truly believe that he expects more failure from you than you probably expect from yourself. And yet, he doesn't leave you there. He doesn't leave you to wallow in that. He's never stingy with his favor and always kind even when we don't deserve it. And it's his kindness. We talked about this a few weeks ago from Romans. His kindness is what draws us to repentance. It draws us to want to change. Jesus is good to us. He's good to us whether we deserve it or not. In fact, Luke 6, 35, this is an awesome verse that Jesus, quote, Jesus said this, love your enemies. Do good to them, which, by the way, rock their world. They're like, no, 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 no. That's not what we do. He said, but here's why. Because God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. God's kind to those who think they're good, and God's kind to those who know they're not. See, when you finally see that God is good, it changes everything because it changes the nature of your relationship with him. He wants to bless you. Let's keep going. Verse 12. When the disciples landed the boat, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. Skip down to verse 15. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? One of the most powerful encounters between two men ever is this encounter between Jesus and Simon Peter. See, at this point in their breakfast, Jesus turns his attention to Peter. And he asks a very penetrating question. Do you love me more than these? Now, lots of speculation. Did he mean, you know, the other guys sitting around the fire? Do you love me more than these yahoos? Or maybe he pointed to the the nets and the boats. Do you love me more than these things, you're past? I think he's pointing to the guys. I'm not sure. But whatever he's saying, either way, can you imagine how Peter must have felt at that moment? I mean, they're sitting around a campfire, fish, you know, you know maybe bacon. I hope there's bacon there. Uh, probably not. Uh, they're good Jewish boys. But anyhow, I, you know, I just love bacon on the campfire. It's so good. But anyhow, so they, I don't know, squirrel. Um, but anyhow, you they, they, <laughs> they, they uh, are sitting around this campfire, and I don't think there's a lot of ch- chatter. I don't think there's a lot of chatting. I don't think they're real, you know, you tell oh, you think my wow, great, man. They're tired. They've been up all night doing what? Fishing. I think they're tired. And I think they're embarrassed. And I think they're thinking, man, this is awkward. And then Jesus turns to Simon. And I do not for a second think he had a mean, ugly, harsh look on his face. Not at all. I think with compassion in his eyes and gentleness in his voice, he says, Simon, do you love me more than these? Now, I doubt again that Peter could even make eye contact. But he said, Lord, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And then Jesus said, good, feed my, feed my lambs. Again, for the record, I don't think Jesus was scolding I th- Peter, people. he wasn't scolding Peter, he was, in fact, restoring him. Yeah, yeah, there's a corrective action here, but it was designed to put Peter back on track. He was challenged, he asked the most important question we could ever ask, do you love me? Do you love Jesus? That is the, that is the question of all questions, do you love Jesus? Everything else to that, secondary to that, everything else is really way down the line. The most important thing is Jesus said, Love God with heart, mind, soul, and strength. Do you love Jesus? Verse 16, again, Simon said, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he asked, Yes, Lord, you know, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, God, take care of my sheep. Verse 17, the third time he said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me? (laughs) Now Peter's hurt because Jesus asked him a third time. He's thinking, oh man, okay, Lord, I get it. And I think part of this hurt is I I cannot imagine it escaped his notice that Jesus asked him three times and he had denied the Lord three times. But Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I can't tell you how many times I found myself in a pile of mess all by myself and you know I created it, I caused it, I'm the reason for it and all I hear from Jesus is Kurt, you love me. (sighs) Yes Lord. That's what matters. Now get back to work. Notice in exchange Jesus not only asks the question of love but he commissions Peter to a task. And what was that task? To feed and to care for God's flock so here's my fourth and final takeaway today no matter what is in your past no matter what no matter what you did yesterday what you did 10 years ago what you did as a kid what you did in college no matter what is in your past God still has a plan for your future he still has a plan for you no matter what past mistakes you've made or what failures you've fallen into God has a plan for your life. And I said, next week, we're going to talk about that. I'm going to unpack that some more. But if you've heard anything today, I hope you've heard this. God can redeem, restore, renew, and yes, even resurrect any life surrendered to Him. We fall. We fall. We stumble. We mess up. But God keeps moving us forward toward Him. And that's His goal. And that's His plan to just keep us growing and moving forward toward Him. I want to show you one. real short video clip to give an illustration of what I think our life in Christ looks like. Watch this. Just in case you miss it the first time. I know some of the more compassionate people in the room Going, I can't believe you showed that, that's so sad, that old man, I can't believe you embarrassed him. You know, listen, the point is real simple, that's me. <laughs> and that's you. We are on this journey toward heaven. And it's forward and it's upward. And on the way, all too often, we stumble, we fall, and it gets ugly. And it's, it's what we do the good news is God just keeps moving us. I love the picture of the escalator because God just keeps saying, don't worry, I'm going to get you there. It may not be pretty, (laughs) but what I started, in you, I'm going to finish, which is why I love this verse, Philippians 1, 6, and then I'm going to pray for you. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, one of my favorite all time, all time. I'm I'm leaning very strongly towards doing a series of summer in Philippians because I just love this book, but here's what Paul wrote. God, who began a good work within, say it, you, will continue, whose work? His work, until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. What does this say? It says God's going to get you where you need to be. He's never going to give up on you. And what he started, he will finish. Trust me, he's bigger than your mistakes. Bye, right, I'm pray for you. Jesus I um, I love the story of your restoration of your restoring Peter back to what you'd call him to do. And I I know Lord the issue for us is the same that it was for Peter. Do you do you love me? That's what you're asking. Do you do you love me? All the other stuff is secondary. The fact that we mess up and fail, that's a reality we're going to have to deal with as long as we're in these earth suits on this side of eternity. But God, the question that you ask us is do you love my son? Do you love Jesus? Do you love me? And I pray, Lord, I ask that today you would encourage those who have felt uh, because either the voice of the enemy or the voice of others or the self-talk in their head have felt completely uh, like they're, they've failed and messed up and that it's, it, it's over for them or that they'll never get back on track with you. Today, would you just shatter that lie? And would you speak into their hearts the hope and the joy and the peace that comes when they realize God you're bigger than the mistakes that we all make and all you want of us is just that we own it that we confess it that we come to you and acknowledge it and that we run to your throne of mercy and grace where we find the help that we need keep your head bowed your eyes closed just for a minute maybe you're here today and I just described you I want to give you a moment just to, in your own way, say, God, I blew it. Confession does matter. It's acknowledging. It's owning your failure. But God doesn't want you to stay stuck there. That's not, the point isn't just confess it so you can beat yourself up for the rest of your life. It's confess it because you know He hears and He forgives and He restores and He renews and you can move on. And some of you right now just need to confess that. Say, God, forgive me. I want new life. I want move forward. (laughs) It might be pretty ugly, God, but I'm going to keep moving forward. Some of you here today, and you've not yet started your life as a Christ follower. And you thought, man, is that what it means? Yeah, it starts with acknowledging you need a Savior. You need God. You've failed. You've sinned. You confess your sins. John wrote, if we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all the stupid stuff we've ever done. That's what the Bible says. And if you're here today, and you're thinking, yep, it's time. You know, it's time for me to get right with God, to make that choice. I'm going to pray a very simple prayer right now. I'm going to ask you just to make these words yours. In your own way, just say, yep, God, that's me. That's what I want. Here's the prayer. Father, forgive me. I have sinned. I have failed. But I I get it that that doesn't have to be the end of my story. I see Your mercy. I feel your grace. Somehow, your love right now is just wrapping itself around me, and I get it. That you want me to just walk with you in relationship with you, forgiven because of what Jesus did for me on that cross. And so this morning I say, Yes, God, I surrender my past. I surrender even my present. I surrender all of what I have. Everything I've done, good, bad, ugly, and everything in between, I surrender it all to you. And today, I choose to follow you. I say yes to you, God. Now, in your own way, just say, yep, God, that's me. And the Bible says the moment you do that, you become his child. You're on that journey now. You're on that escalator. Journeys, you've got a long ways to go. And You'll stumble and you'll fall along the way, but he will never give up on you because you're his now. Lord, seal that truth in our hearts. Seal it in our hearts today. As we get ready just to take communion this morning before we finish up, I pray, Lord, that you would just burn this truth into our hearts that you died for our sin so that we could live in mercy and grace and forgiveness forever. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. It's only 10.15. We've designed the service so that at the end of this time today, we could finish. Next 10 minutes or so, probably a little less, with a couple of amazing worship, worship songs, and giving you an opportunity to go. There are nine different stations. We've added a few more. Here's why. Let me explain something. I don't want you just to rush there, feel like you've got somebody behind you. I don't care if there's a line at every one of the stations. It's okay. Take your time. Go to the different, there's nine of them all throughout the room. Go to that station, that communion table, and grab the juice, some of them, they peel off the, the plastic if you want the, the kind that's sealed, there's a plastic, peel that off, and the, the wafers there, and then the juice is below that. The others are double cups, the bread's in the bottom cup. Over to the far right, your left, uh, gets the table, a little stool, there's gluten-free even. We're gonna give you no excuse to not participate in this today. And, I, and, and while, as we worship, you're just gonna move when you're ready. Couple songs, got plenty of time, there's no rush. But as you move to these different tables to take communion, pause there. And in that moment, 10, 15, 20, 30 seconds. In that moment, do this. Thank Him. Thank Him for His faithfulness. Thank Him for what He did for you on that cross. Thank Him for the faithfulness He has to you. Thank Him that even in your blunderings, that He's committed to get you there. Take a moment to say, oh God, thank you. As I celebrate, take this cracker, this little piece of bread, which represents your body broken for me, and this cup of grape juice that represents your blood shed for me, that because of that, I'm whole. And I'm going to get there because you're never going to give up on me. So as we worship, let's take a together. And I'll come back and wrap it up. A week ago Friday, I was downtown with my family. Uh, my grandson, Caleb and Abigail were there. and uh, I was very proud of Caleb because he's a little afraid of escalators. But he made the bold choice and he got on it. And went up, you know, and then went up another one and thought, this is good. Sometimes for us, the biggest challenge is facing that first step, the fear. I don't know what's going to be like if I get in this escalator. What if I fall? Duh. But a lot of you today have been reminded that he's never going to give up on you even when you do fail. And some of you today, you began your life as Christ follower. You stepped onto the escalator. You took the bold step like my grandson did. Say, so, you know what? It's time. And I'm I'm here to tell you that you made God and all of heaven happy and you made this pastor happy. And I want to encourage you to tell someone around you. Tell them. Your friend. Your family member. Somebody you're standing around and say, hey, today I made my, I got on, I got an elevator. I made a decision to become a Christ follower. And on the tables, by the doors you leave, there's a white envelope There's for new believers. Got some information in there to get you started in your walk with Jesus, your journey with Him. We want to walk in this journey with you. So pick one of those up. If you miss a prayer request, bucket or the offering, again, the black box on the wall, you can take care of it there. Prayer team would be down front. If you'd like to give prayer this morning, there will be people down here to pray for you. But here's my hope. Here's my, my true deepest hope for you. Is that every time you see an escalator the next week or two at least, you'll remember. God smiles when you, tri- when you stumble. He just wants you to keep moving forward. And he's more committed to you than you could even imagine. So go. Go stumble away. God bless you guys. Thanks for being here today.